CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And I tested very positively in, a, in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. Meaning, meaning I tested negative. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J. Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J., take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Tuesday, January 12, 2021. Of course, it could be any time. It's a podcast. You could be listening to this in the year 2045. That little clip at the outset, if you are listening to this in the year 2045, is one of our favorite clips. Of the man America decided it would be a good idea to have as its president, that would be one Donald John Trump, explaining how he was negative in his test, but really negative is positive. I understand. I got dyslexia. So, like, it just seems counterintuitive that negative would be positive. Anyway, that was young Donald Trump uh, from earlier this year. Uh, as we do with all bonus interviews, I start the show by reading the headline in the newspaper so you have a sense of what's going on in the world when we have this conversation. So this pretty much dominates everything that's going on in the world as I speak. Tuesday, January 12th, the headline in the New York Times says it all. House sets a vote to impeach Trump unless Pence acts. Yeah, we know Pence is not going to act. Uh, threat to America is urgent, Pelosi says, as Democrats introduce article. So we're getting set for another impeachment fight uh, as we uh, have this conversation, as I do with all bonus guests on the Benjamin Jarofsky Show. I ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. That's me. Yes, you're the distinguished guest. Um, okay, I'm Mindy Iser. I work in the labor movement, and I'm also a freelance writer, and I live in Philadelphia. Thank you for having me on your show. All right, Mindy, I, a little, uh, I just got to smash the fourth wall. What happened was um, Mindy knows my oldest daughter, and my oldest daughter sent me a copy of Mindy's latest story, and she said, you must read this story and then have Mindy on the show. And since I do everything my oldest daughter tells me, uh, I immediately read the story and invited uh, Mindy onto the show. Uh, so a shout out to Hannah for that. Uh, Mindy, excellent story in the in the in these times. You're perhaps the fourth writer from in these times to grace uh, this show. So welcome to the show. Uh, Miles Conflasson is a regular on our show. Here's the headline: Trump voters have to be organized, not ignored. Uh, unions should be holding more discussions with their members and listening to their needs. So when I read the story, I saw the headline, Mindy, I immediately wanted to reach out to you uh, and talk to you about what unions have to do, what the left has to do, what libs, Democrats, uh, lefties, whatever you want to call us, need to, to, to do to expand their base and to bring Trump voters aboard. You had a lot of good ideas. Uh, in between the time that I booked you for this show and the moment we're having this conversation, of course, 
there was the insurrection where a bunch of MAGA supporters uh, fired up by listening a little too much to Donald John Trump, uh, stormed the Capitol. That was last Wednesday. Now we're in the midst of an impeachment battle. And I'm starting to wonder, is it all hopeless? Uh, what are the themes Democrats could possibly champion to win over Trump, a voters who seem so hostile to Democrats? Uh, and how representative are these insurgents uh, who uh, surged at the, the capital of MAGA in general uh, and what Joe Biden should be doing? So these are just sort of the general topics I'd like to cover with you today. Uh, so we'll start, Amindi, by why don't you talk, sort of summarize the points that you made uh, in your article? Sure. Thank you so much. I mean, I guess I can just share why I wanted to sort of write about this topic, which is that, you know, I'm, I've been in the labor movement for a while. And when Trump was first running, I, there were all of these, you know, like Joe, the plumber type stories. Like they find these, they go to these diners or reporters go to these diners. They find these guys they are disgruntled. They're union members. They're mad. They hate the Democrats. They hate NAFTA. They're turning to Trump. They love Trump now. And I felt like I saw 1 million of those stories and there was no, most of them didn't dive very deep. It was more like, is this a crisis for the Democrats? The union members, they love Trump. And then, um, On the other side of that, I felt like, you know, I was a big Bernie supporter in both past elections. I uh, canvassed for him, door knocked for him. I went to Nevada um, this time around for the caucus. And I also heard a lot of socialists who I respect be like, we can turn any Trump voter into a Bernie voter. We just need to talk to them about Medicare for all. And I have talked to a lot of workers in my life. I've been a uh, union labor organizer for a long time. And unfortunately, I don't think that that's true. I think there is something in the middle between both of those two sort of stories that we have in our minds about people. And that's that people are complicated. Their political orientation is really complicated. Um, Most people don't feel, don't, their political views don't fit squarely in a Democrat box or a Republican box. Um, And I wanted to explore that more and talk to regular working people about their opinions. And what I found was that from the people that I talked to, yes, it is very complicated. And so all of the um, interviews that were published, obviously not the full interviews, they were done with um, union members who either had been registered Democrats or had voted Democrat in the past and um, telling me why they supported Trump. And some of it was interesting. A lot of it was really depressing. Um, People were mad about NAFTA. Obviously, people were concerned about the economy. There is definitely a theme of economic anxiety, which we can definitely like dig into later. Um, And then unfortunately, there was a lot of stuff that had nothing to do with the economy, nothing to do with their union, um, was stuff that you could hear if you turned on uh, Fox News or any of the right wing radio shows about uh, late term abortions, immigrants. Um, terrorism, things like that. Um, Yeah, so 
I, it is depressing for sure, but I, I do see a way forward and that's a, a thing that I, I hope people um, take away from it and focus on instead of just like, these people suck. We shouldn't talk to uh, them. Well, no, uh, the way forward is a good uh, thing we should explore, but I should point out uh, that every single one, I, I mentioned you're like the fourth uh, in these times writer to come on this show and every single one is significantly younger than me and every single one gives me grief uh, for what they call voter shaming. And they say, indulge in that way too much. All of them. I can do imitations of all these different writers. I'll spare you that, Mindy. I will not do my Micah imitation right now. But he's always uh, telling me I'm... You uh, have to get a lot deeper. Uh, <laughs> uh, Micah. Uh, yes, he sounds like Barry White. But anyway, um, so uh, what's your attitude about voter shaming? It's a natural inclination that uh, many lefties have, many Democrats have. Uh, but uh, Micah and Miles tell me that it's ultimately self-defeating. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I'm going to turn it right back to you. How do you feel when someone makes you feel stupid and bad about a decision that you've made in your personal life? It makes you feel, I'm guessing, you don't have to answer. I don't you know, want to put you in a doghouse <laughs> or anything, but it makes you feel really defensive and really bad and like, dig your heels and more. I mean, that's how I feel when I feel ashamed about something. And when someone mm -hmm. is like, you're stupid, you made a bad decision. Don't you feel stupid? My first instinct is to defend myself and to defend my decision. And I think that's the same with voting. There has been no proof that shaming people for the choices they make works politically. It certainly doesn't work personally, at least not in my personal life. It, has never worked with any of my boyfriends. So if, if you learn anything about the art of shaming, let me know. But yeah, I don't, I could never imagine like knocking on someone's door as a union organizer and they say, oh, I'm anti-union. Sorry, I'm not joining the union no matter what you say. In my heart, I'm like, oh man, this mf -er. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. You, you can, it's a podcast. You can say whatever you want. Every okay. word has been said in this show. Go ahead. In my heart, I'm like, oh, this fucking motherfucker is going to be such an asshole and waste my time. But the thing that comes out of my mouth is like, not that. It's a question. It's asking them about their life. It's like, oh, have you been in the union before? What was that like? That is so much more effective asking questions than saying... Oh, you dumb motherfucker. I know so much better than you. Yeah. Don't you agree? Um, well, um, do I agree with that? I, I would put it this way. I mean, we're not going to turn this into a self-help show, but <laughs> let me just say this. Um, like when you say in your personal life, if somebody confronts me with something that I'm doing that's really obnoxious and counterproductive and self-destructive uh, and it's destroying my family or destroying my life, uh, at some point you you have to get you have to be serious. You can't tap dance around it. So yeah, I don't mind if they go, "What you're doing and is so stupid. You're destroying your life." Okay, and then at some point, it's a incumbent upon me to look in the mirror and say, you know what? 
I have to be accountable for this stupid stuff I'm putting out in the world. These horrendous negative vibrations that I'm sending out to the universe. So I must make that adjustment. So actually, Mindy, I think that sometimes honesty uh, is the best policy. You know, you could sugarcoat it a little bit. You could say, I understand why you're doing stupid stuff because, I don't know, you were abused uh, in your early, your 20s or you got knocked in your head when you were 17 or I'm just making up all the possible reasons someone could do stupid stuff. But I believe at some point an honesty is is needed. Like when you take a look at the MAGA people putting on their Viking helmets, and go into the Capitol. I mean, how are you going to reason with that? Okay, but all right. They're, these are two separate things. One is there are some Trump supporters who are not reasonable. They're not able to be reasoned with. And those people should be isolated and ignored. But if we're talking about the people who we think reasonably we can pull to our side or pull back to our side or whatever... Yeah, you need to finesse. You need to have some bedside manner. I mean, like, it's just a, a question of how you communicate. It's like when you get cancer, the doctor doesn't just fling open the door and say, you have cancer, you're dying, see you later. They, like, talk it through with you, and they, like, are open and kind and ask you questions. Sorry to compare it to that. But it's just, to me, it's a a communication style question. And it's a question of what do you want the outcome of the conversation to be? Do you want to feel good about yourself? Do you want to feel right? Do you want to feel like a smug motherfucker? I personally love that feeling. And I, that's why in my personal life, I do try to shame people, but politically I want to build a strong mass working class movement. And to do that, I can't just like, my goal can't be to be the most correct person in the room or to feel like I won at a conversation. The goal has to be to bring people to your side, to inspire people, to activate them, to have them have answers to these big questions in their head. And there are a lot of very big questions out there and people are trying to make sense out of the horrible, isolated world that we're living in. And unfortunately, Trump and his followers have found a way to communicate effectively with these people. And the left hasn't. And partly it's because some of these people, you're right, they can't be reasoned with. But the other part is because there are many people on the left or, you know, like libs or Democrats, you're you're kind of talking about them as one big group. I would certainly try to separate them out more, but in that large group, people have turned up their noses and said, I don't want to talk to those people. They're disgusting. They're dead to me. And I understand that impulse, but I don't think it is helpful for trying to build a mass movement. I would agree with you on that point. You cannot build a mass movement uh, by telling uh, the masses, you're worthless, I don't want anything to do with you. So I, I must concede uh, that you're absolutely correct. All right, so I'm going to assume that your way is the right way uh, to expand whatever you want to call it, the Democratic base, the lefty base, whatever you want to call it. 
So what are some of the areas of common interest? What are some of the subjects that you could raise uh, with a, uh, a unionized Trump supporter that would bring them into the Democratic or lefty fold? Go ahead. That's a great question. I mean, I think that we should get down to basics. I mean, work is the most important thing in people's lives besides their families, because work is the thing that allows you to have a family. It's the thing that allows you to provide for your children, put a roof over their head, buy them food, buy them clothes, have the weekend off to spend with them. Like everything in our lives, unfortunately, unless you're independently wealthy, which I'm not, revolves around our paycheck. And when you have an anti-union president and anti-union Congress people who want to roll back or destroy union rights, that's a problem. And that's a problem for all workers, union or not. And so talking about the power of um, the union and the power of unions and the power of working people coming together, I think is extremely important. And I think, you know, with a lot of the MAGA people, the, the least reasonable ones, the ones we should ignore to, to the people who are maybe our neighbors or our coworkers, what a lot of, what I hear a lot of them say is like politicians or Democrats, especially are out of touch. They don't know what it's like to work. They've been in office for 50 years. They, they go, they, their salary is supposed to be like $150,000, but somehow they make millions every year. They live in these giant mansions. They don't trust politicians. I certainly agree with that. And that resonates with me. I want to see people like us in office. I want to see nurses, teachers, UPS drivers, x-ray techs, whoever. I want to see regular people advocate for me in office. Obviously, Donald Trump is not a regular person, but he somehow convinced people that because he wasn't like a typical politician, he was. And that's a problem. But I think it gets to the root of something, which is that people feel like they're not represented. People feel like they don't have power in the workplace, union or not, although obviously most workers in this country are not union. And they are feeling legitimate economic anxiety. And I've been really frustrated with the coverage of that because people say, oh, they say economic anxiety, but what they're really saying is that they're racist. And sure, they might also be racist, but being racist is not like a constant inside of people. It's something that is grown and can be shrunk depending on the conditions around us and depending on political activity. And so I'm obviously not making, I hope it's very clear, I'm not making excuses for racism. And again, obviously there are some legitimate white supremacists who are Trump supporters, but economic anxiety is real. And almost every single worker in this country feels it to some extent. So we need to be talking about how we are going to improve uh, jobs and strengthen and expand the labor movement. That should be like, the union makes us strong. That should be in like every lefty's head, like that song, those thoughts, that should be like what courses through our veins, I think. All right. Uh, 
you gave me a lot to uh, follow up on. I wrote uh, notes. Uh, Since you raised uh, the notion that some workers just may have a a bias against black people, let's deal with that one first, because this is a really tricky one. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, Donald Trump, essentially, from the moment George Floyd uh, was murdered in Minneapolis uh, until the election, was just pounding away at racial tensions in this country, doing absolutely everything he could to stir up a violence, just like he'd stirred up violence this last Wednesday at the Capitol, uh, and to try to scare white people into voting for him by just portraying them as under siege and uh, uh, threatened by black people. He invited those two residents of Missouri from uh, who had the guns to, you know, drawn on the Black Lives Matter protesters who were totally peaceful. Um, to he invited them to the um, the convention. So, having said all that, having watched Donald Trump do that, what could unions possibly do? in a matter like that should they ignore uh the black lives matter movement and not join them in open uh, uh coalition and uh, out of fear of alienating uh, some of their workers or should they try to confront it head on no union should certainly be involved in the black lives matter movement i mean unions have a huge role to play in ending like the racial wealth gap and racism in the workplace, which is again, huge. The workplace is very important to all of us. So yes, union should absolutely not shy away from black lives matter. But I think a lot of us who have been involved in the union movement have seen is that when um, unions get involved in coalition efforts, sometimes it'll be in a kind of shallow way. They'll get like, you know, some e-board members or some of their like, big activists to speak or come to a rally, but they won't do like deep engagement with all of the membership about why it's important to support Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement. And so I could foresee a situation where union members who are proud to be union because bread and butter issues, jobs, wages, benefits, things like that, they don't totally get Black Lives Matter stuff, they like see themselves as like colorblind as many workers do. Um, And they're like, I don't get why my union gets involved in this political stuff. It has nothing to do with our workplace. Like that's something I hear from workers from time to time. And I think unions could do a much better job of explaining the connections here and how um, racism isn't just like when someone is mean to someone because of the color of their skin, it's about um, structures and systems and it's about jobs and what's racist are like politicians who want to um, get rid of collective bargaining rights. And like, you can see this in the South where it's primarily right to work. That's not accidental. That's for a reason. And we see the material effects of racism every single day. We see it, in jobs, we see it in housing, we see it in union rights throughout the South. And so it's really important for unions to be making those connections because if they don't, those workers will turn on Fox News and they'll see like Tucker Carlson be like, 
yeah, and the Black Lives Matter movement, the unions are putting money towards it. They don't care about you. They're using your union dues for this like Marxist stuff, which personally I think would be cool. Um, and, and workers aren't hearing it from their organization. And that's who they should be hearing about this stuff from. And unions shouldn't be afraid to have hard conversations. All right. Um, you also mentioned uh, Donald Trump's ability to uh, have a, I don't know what is his message or his style that's uh, wins over many people who are actually signing on to an agenda that hurts them. So they're voting against their self-interest. If you view self-interest as largely pocketbook interest, which is how most people generally view self-interest. So what, in retrospect, Mindy, do you think uh, lefties, union activists, progressives, what have you, can learn from Donald Trump? That's a great question. I mean, I think a big thing is that he, you know, obviously he's a dishonest person, but when he talks, he sounds honest. He doesn't sound like a politician. It's not like he has a super prepared speech or he has all these platitudes. He just sounds like kind of a weirdo. And you know, that's appealing to people who have heard the same things over and over again from politicians with no delivery. And he was not afraid to point the finger at politicians who like, you know, for example, supported NAFTA, which like did decimate um, tons of jobs in the country. And he, he, he accurately diagnosed some problems. Like he did do that well. And obviously he didn't follow through with it, but he, he named real issues. And I think a lot of people were like, eh, what do we have to lose? We've been voting Democrat for how long? What has that done for us? And, you know, Hillary Clinton was not an ideal candidate for many reasons. So all these things were a perfect storm. And so I don't want to put too much stock in like who he is or how he communicates. But I think just being able to name the problems is huge. Um, and then I, I just also want to say, I'm sure everyone knows this, you know this, people listening know this. Donald Trump's base is the Republican base. Like, there's nothing like, like all these stories about these like Joe the plumber types. Like, yes, he did grab a significant chunk of the working class that we need to be concerned about. But we also need to like understand that the majority of people who voted for him are economically financially comfortable and they're not um, working class. They're not union members and that should just be very, very clear because we don't want to just, we're not reaching out to every Trump voter. We're not because we don't share the same interests as them. And that's, that's, that's fine. But the ones we do share an interest with, we do need to be reaching out to them. Yes. Now you've mentioned several times NAFTA. Uh, NAFTA was adopted in the nineties. Here we are in 2021. So many of the people responding to NAFTA, uh, in a positive way in the case of voting for Donald Trump because he uh, chastises it or criticizes it, weren't even born when uh, NAFTA was passed or were so young they probably have no memory of it. Why do you think to this day NAFTA lives on with uh, such a negative effect that it could just it's just like a one word a talking point, Mindy, that a Donnie Trump can use 
to rile up workers. What is it about NAFTA and what NAFTA symbolizes uh, that is such a successful tool for Donald Trump? That's a great question. I've never really thought about that. I mean, I guess simply like NAFTA really sucks. It sucks. I mean, I was born in 1990 and, you know, I didn't start working in earnest until 2011. So it's, I too didn't experience in the same way. No one in my family lost work from it or anything, but I mean, I think it's because it sucked, but also I'm sure there is a aspect of like nationalism and chauvinism and racism, like, Oh, our jobs are going to those people over there. Um, which, you know, it's, it is bad to move good union jobs to different parts of the world, if only to uh, pay those workers much, much less. That is bad, obviously. But uh, I do think there's probably an element of, um, like, you know, patriotism and nationalism and some like chauvinism a little bit, like these are our jobs and they should stay ours. But Ultimately, I mean, it, it destroyed entire towns and I guess it's, it's arguable if those jobs would still be here today without NAFTA, but it's a, it's a good, it's an easy thing to be mad at because it did totally ruin, ruin people's lives and not just individual people, but entire like communities. Well, it's a, still a very effective uh, tool. And by the way, Donald Trump was nowhere to be found, just so everybody knows this, in the 1990s and the debate regarding NAFTA. He's probably for it, if he had an opinion at all uh, about it. He certainly manufactured his ties, his Donald Trump ties were made in China. Uh, so there was no impediment for him uh, farming out jobs uh, across the seas. Just want to put uh, that out there as well. Is there an issue that you can think of right off the top of your head that works the same way on behalf of Democrats? Like uh, an issue that a unionized workforce would hear and would automatically be triggered to vote against Republicans? That's a really, really good question. And I think the answer is no, but mostly because the Democrats are not good at this. Like they are not good at fighting well. And that is like one thing that we should take from Trump and we should take from the Republicans. They don't care about playing dirty. They don't care about norms or like respecting people across the aisle. And the Democrats have this like, inane idea that if they're nice to the Republicans or they like show some kind of camaraderie, they'll be able to find some kind of compromise instead of seeing it as like a war, which is how they should, but it should be right to work legislation. Every time a Republican tries to introduce some kind of right to work legislation or tries to roll back some kind of, um, tries to roll back collective bargaining, which has happened multiple times in Pennsylvania. They've tried this. The Democrats should be all over it. It, They should make it their whole campaign. This is about your job. This is about your livelihood. They are trying to take your ability to negotiate with your boss away from you. Why would they do that unless they're friends with your boss? No one likes their boss. Like that should be every campaign slogan, but nothing, nothing. And so 
the Democrats struggle to effectively tie bad things to the Republicans. And in part, it's because the Democrats have supported a lot of those same bad things. And that's a problem. And that needs to change going forward or else we're fucked. But they also need to play a little dirtier and like grow a backbone. Well, I can tell you right now, I, I told, I started at the outset by saying I'm a notorious voter shamer. And when I generally uh, shame uh, MAGA voters uh, for voting against their self-interest, my young lefty friends tell me, stop voter shaming. But when I voter shame Dems for voting for centrist Democrats like Billy Clinton and Rahm Emanuel and uh, uh, Barack Obama, you know, and I make fun of Dems for doing that. Then all my lefty friends are like, yeah, man, keep shaming those voters. So I'm asking you, Mindy, it's a tough one here because I'm with you 100%. I always tell Dems, let's say I'm interviewing someone who's really believes in a woman's right to choose. I'm like, you're not going to get that if they dismantle the labor movement. And they go, well, yeah, but Ben, you know, some of these unions are like really pushing too hard. I'm like, if without the unions, if that's the reason why Scott Walker, you know, was successful Wisconsin and Donald Trump won Wisconsin. So isn't it okay to shame Dems, uh, Mindy, uh, into accepting the need for unions in our in our politics today? Well, two things. That is what the, the meat of what you're saying that we need unions and we need Democrats to get on board with unions is a great point. And it's something I've been thinking about constantly. And it's why it's so important for Joe Biden to make sure the PRO Act gets passed because union voters are more reliable voters. They're more reliable Democratic voters than any other constituent. And so if Democrats want to win elections, you would think that they would want more union members in their district. And you would think that they would want to be able to champion helping bring more union members to their district. So that's one thing. I think that has to be this year, the priority number one of the Democrats for both selfless reasons for the good of workers in this country, but also selfish reasons. If they want to win, if they want to expand their majority, if they want to keep a majority, they need union members to vote for them and to have union members voting for them. They need to have union members, but to the vote shaming thing, I have to say, I struggle with the, with the lib thing, with the centrist Dem thing, because I'm like, you are so well-educated, you know so much, you have 8,000 degrees, you need a ton of money, I've been to your house, you have 8 million books, why are you so fucking dumb? Why are you so dumb? And that's what I think, but I've been trying the past 12 months to do the same thing I would do if I knocked on a worker's door, which is try to organize them. And it's hard because I feel a different kind of anger with these people. I really do. And it's, it's maybe not fair. And I maybe need to explore why I guess because they're like concerned about things that don't really matter, I guess, or they don't matter materially to most people. And it makes me mad. Um, or like, they don't get it. They don't connect the dots. Like you're saying like abortion rights actually have a lot to do 
with union density. Everything, every social good or cultural issue that we care about has a lot to do with union density because again, democratic voters. Um, but yeah, I think amongst ourselves in our, in our group chats with our friends, yeah, we should make fun of these people. We should dunk on them, whatever. But I think politically we might have to like kumbaya sometimes. Well, I kumbaya with him, but then I make fun of him. But I'm now going to apologize. Uh, remember, Kristen Wiig had that character. She goes, sorry. So uh, I'm going to apologize to all those Dems that make fun of. Uh, but that's that's a constant. That I got to tell you, that is a constant. Uh, and part of the reason I think that NAFTA reverberates so well for Donald Trump, because it sort of exposes a phoniness on the part of Democrats, that Democrats are just unwilling to explore. And uh, that is, they're really concerned about issues that directly affect them, but they don't really care about issues that don't affect them, like someone's pocketbook if they don't make money. And so, you know, it's uh, it's easy target for Donnie. All right, uh, we'll close with this one. Uh, just get your thoughts on this. Uh, I'm thinking about the Green New Deal a lot these days and how, how excited the Democrats were when they introduced it to the world, how immediately uh, Donald Trump and Republicans uh, turned into a caricature that they hammered away at the Democrats. And I've, Mindy, I've said this so many times in the show. I just watched with anguish the Democratic debates, both the presidential and the vice presidential, where Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, as soon as Trump and Pence started mocking the Green New Deal, instead of defending it, they would shake their head as, oh, there he goes again. We're not for the Green New Deal. And I'm like, why? <laughs> How could you like why wouldn't you champion it? You know what I'm saying? It means jobs for people who don't have jobs. I, I really don't get why Democrats run away. Help me on this one, Mindy. Run away from issues that would be useful, to put it, I don't know really a word, to winning over voters. Great fucking question. Maybe you should run for office. Uh, not likely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I also write a lot about the relationship between the labor movement and the climate movement. Um, that's like my, one of my beats, I guess you could say. So this is a topic that's really interesting to me. I mean, not only did Biden say, he basically said in the same breath that he said, I don't support the Green New Deal. He also said the Green New Deal pays for itself. So he was defending the Green New Deal to Trump, but also saying he didn't support it. it. I mean, Joe Biden is, I don't know, kooky man who needs, needs a lot more rest, I think, than he's getting. But yeah, I mean, environmental issues are tough in a lot of ways because for many people, they symbolize like a white middle-class hobbyism, but at the same time, too many um, working class people, both in urban and rural areas, climate change is a legitimate life or death issue where people are getting sick, their kids are getting asthma, um, and they're not even getting jobs out of the deal. Um, and it's obviously people are losing their homes. There's horrible weather, extreme weather events. It's, it's a, a clear crisis. And yes, the Green New Deal is... Very important. I mean, I've heard some people argue that they should keep, take the green out of it. Like when, when people hear the word green, 
they like freak the fuck out. Like something, something happens to them where they think they're going to be like, have to like get stuck in a tree for like a week. Uh, like protein, like <laughs> the tree getting cut down or something, or like they're going to have to only eat vegan for the rest of their lives. You know, there's some kind of like cultural response that I think has a lot to do with like masculinity. That's probably for another time, but yeah, the Democrats are dumb as fuck. Like I cannot explain to you why they don't support this except for the like real reason, which is that fossil fuel companies give a lot of money to Democrats. They give a lot of money to Republicans. They give a lot of money to everyone because they don't care who's in office because they know that no matter who it is, they're going to be okay. And that's why they don't like people like Bernie and AOC who actually have principles and an ideology and want to see it through. And like you people like Nancy Pelosi, who's totally out of touch with the average person in this country. She's 80 years old. She's been in office forever. She's like a gajillionaire. And she called it the green dream or whatever. That's <laughs> me want to do stuff that I can't say on air because I don't want the FBI coming to my door. But it makes me incredibly mad because we're, we're in a crisis. I mean, the coronavirus pandemic, mass unemployment, the healthcare situation because of those two things, it's showing that we need some real extreme investment in both the economy, climate, healthcare, and the Green New Deal has all of those things. It's all of those things in one. And yes, it's bold, but we've been bold before and it's time to be bold again. And I think Democrats are going to find that if they don't support stuff like this, they're not going to be in office much longer. And I think for someone like Nancy Pelosi, that's going to take a while. She's really powerful, but it's going to happen. All right, Mindy, uh, it's a good spot ever to close it down. I just want to point out uh, that uh, that when you said I should run for office, I was laughing out loud. Uh, I would I would be a test. Can someone be elected shaming absolutely every voter he meets? <laughs> hey, you schmuck! You you voted for who? You voted for Rom? Are you kidding me? That's I say it about like ninety percent of the people I meet in the city. Of you should do that. You should try. People might like it. People want some honesty. People want to know what you really think. Well, I let them know what I really think. I think they're a bunch of uh, schmucks for voting for Rom and all you MAGA hat wearers out there. You guys who voted for Donald Trump, you're as dumb as the Chicagoans who voted for Rom. Hey, let's see if that works. As uh, 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 Mindy, before we let you go, why don't you just tell folks about some of the recent articles you've written for In These Times so they can check them out and see more of your work. Um, wow. Really on the spot. Um, I, I, my, the last article I wrote for in these times is about, um, the movement to cancel student debt, um, which is also calling on Joe Biden to do something bold and visionary, which I, knowing Joe Biden strongly doubt he'll do at least. Not <laughs> You're shaming Joe Biden. That's not fair. He hasn't done anything yet to deserve the shame, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you back Mindy uh, next month. Cause you're a great guest. And we're going to see if Joe Biden has done anything to win you over. How about that? Sounds great. All right. That's a great Mindy. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.